We're gonna we're moving to the next, we're making to the next chapter of Philippians today. If you're visiting or if you're watching online and you're not familiar with being with us, um, we've been taking a number of weeks. It's going to end up being about ten to twelve total, and we're going kind of section by section through the book of Philippians, which is Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the book of Philippians, and he wrote it to his very good friends in the church at Philippi, in the in the city of Philippi, which is a Roman colony, and um, he's writing to them. To thank them, why? Why is he thanking them? Have you been been learning anything? Why is Paul writing a thank you note? I hear it. Because they've been supporting him financially. He's in jail. And if they don't give him any money, he starves. So they've been sending a guy named um, Epaphroditus. Thank you. I couldn't think of his name. How do you forget a name like Epaphroditus? Um, And they've sent him with the money to support Paul in prison, and this is a thank you note back to them. And so we've been going through it section by section, and i got to tell you, we're going to get to chapter 3 today, we're going to go through the first 11 verses of chapter 3, and, and I love the section we're going to be looking at today. Um, and here's why I personally love it. I love it because it's good for me. I love it because it blesses me, I love it because it challenges me, and I believe this, if we will have open hearts today, it will be good for you, it'll bless you, it'll challenge you. Because what we get in section, in chapter 3, the first 11 verses, we get a glimpse into the Apostle Paul's heart. And we find him writing here about what his greatest desire in life is. And think about that. Somebody says, tell me your greatest desire in life. What would you honestly write? Um, This is Paul writing about that, his greatest desire in life. And when I read it, I find it so incredibly challenging because it helps me challenge myself, look inside and say, Lord, I want to echo for myself what Paul is longing for. I want to strive for what he strives for. I want you to echo. I want you to strive for what he strives for. And so, and because we know this, as the, as the great apostle Paul, um, who met Jesus face to face, he's modeling for us the, the best possible kind of Christian existence. And I want that for me and I want that for you. So let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And I want you to remember here, Paul's talking about his greatest heart's desire, and you're going to go, oh, boy, I don't see it in there. You're going to see it really clearly in a few minutes. So it's verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, finally, my brethren, so this is friends at church, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision." For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes to God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death 
in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, before we go into a really, into the really, I'm going to say this, deep water, or take a deep dive uh, into what Paul writes here, I want us to make sure that we don't gloss over something that I think is of incredibly vital importance. And I asked Paul to write this, slightly important, or he would not have inspired the author of the text, Paul, to write this. As we read this, we start with verse 1. And a person could look at this kind of like an intro statement, just kind of like, a, oh, hi, how you doing? And then go into the kind of the deep water of, of, chap, of verse 2 through 11. But I think that'd be a mistake to gloss over it. Let's not gloss over it. Because I think it is so important, I'd say that it's so important, especially, verse 1, during a season of life like we find ourselves in right now. A time of, there's a lot of confusion a lot going on, a lot of chaos going on, a lot of people are feeling stressed. Look what he says in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord. It is a safeguard for you. I want to be really honest with you for a second. People say, Mark, you're always honest with us, and I hope I am. But let me tell you something. When I was writing this, and the way my life works is on Thursdays, so this Thursday was Thanksgiving, so for me this week it will probably be Friday, um, I write the sermon. I pray, I study, I read, and I'm usually preparing the days prior, but I, I, I study, I prepare, and on Thursdays I write the sermon not that I'm going to preach this Sunday, but that I'm going to preach the next Sunday. I'm always a week and a half ahead. Because then what I do this week is I review the sermon I wrote the week before for, the, for Sunday for church. So on Wednesdays, I always review my sermon that's going to be coming out to you today. So this, this sermon was reviewed on Sunday, or on, on, on Wednesday. And when I was preparing this, now because I followed on a calendar like that, um, who knows that one Thursday you feel different than you feel another Thursday, right? Like, no one ever said to Michelangelo, and I'm not trying to compare myself to Michelangelo, but said, oh, would you go paint a beautiful picture on Thursday? Paint something we remember forever. And he goes, I just don't feel like, I don't got it today. I don't feel like it. You know, I'm going to wait till I feel inspired. You know, I don't have that privilege, and you guys understand what this pr- to produce at your work. And, you know, I don't have that privilege. Thursday comes, I'm studying, I'm praying, I'm writing my sermon for not this Sunday, but the Sunday after. And, and the Thursday that I began to write this, work on this text, I even told Susanna, I said, I don't even want to do this today. Because I knew how deep it was. I was feeling kind of um, under some weight. I was feeling stressed. I just found out that some more people in our church had contracted COVID. And one was really sick. I have a relative who's really sick. Uh, that were that were you know really sick with COVID, and so I'm trying to figure out what is the right thing for us to do. And it's real easy for for everybody to have opinions, but ultimately myself and our board have to make the decision. So I got people on this side saying, "Oh well, it's a big joke," and people on this side saying, "We should live in a cave," you know. And you got hundreds of people. All have your opinions. Guess what? I get to make the decision. Ultimately, can't blame anybody else. I got to make the decision. So I was feeling weight, you know, because I got people literally super ill, you know. And I got other people going, oh, it's not even a big deal. And so I'm feeling stressed, but I'm feeling some, some weight of that. I was also dealing with, with and I won't go into two other pretty, really weighty issues. They were, they were heavy, uh, weighty issues that I'm, I'm just I'm trying to figure out what's God's will in this thing, what's God's plan, what's my part in it. 
So I was, this is, I was feeling it, you know? I was feeling it. I didn't feel like sitting down and, and studying and, and plowing through this. And I read this, and what I did, chapter, verse 1, I just really, really kind of read it, skimmed over it, and went to the, what I said was the meat of the text, verses 2 to 11. I said, let's plow into it. But I really just kept feeling the Holy Spirit bringing me back to verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, Mark, for it is a safeguard for you. No, interesting. He didn't just say, hey, go rejoice in the Lord. He said, rejoice in the Lord, Suzanne, you know, for it is a safeguard for you. Rejoice in the Lord. It is a safeguard for you. And so I kind of just backed off. And if you know me at all, I'm kind of, I kind of move, you know, I'm kind of a get it done guy. So for me to put it in neutral is hard. So I'm like, like, back off, put it in neutral. And I just felt like I'm supposed to sit with this verse. I started thinking about how I was feeling kind of stressed and how the Apostle Paul in this situation had every opportunity to feel was sharing Christ. As a matter of fact, of saying death because he was sharing Christ. As a matter of fact, eventually they killed him for it. So he's in jail waiting to find out, are you going to chop off my head because I refused to renege on my, on my claims that Jesus rose from the dead. And I realized in this verse, I'm like, because oh. remember, Paul didn't write anything by accident. He's like, this is, Paul's trying to say, he's like, dude, this is how I managed to stay joyful in a time of season of stress. And Paul was instructing other Christians saying, listen, in order to be joyful, this is what you do. Rejoice in the Lord. Is it a safeguard for you? Put it neutral and take time and rejoice in the Lord. It is a safeguard for you. This isn't something to be glossed over. This is how, the how of how the Apostle Paul could be joy-filled in the middle of his trust and the why he could then write the rest of the verses we're going to look at in a few minutes. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. It is a safeguard for you. So guess what I started doing? And it felt awkward. Although you go, why would it feel awkward for you? Because I was in production mode. And I sat back at my desk and I pushed myself back and I began to rejoice. Not just saying, oh yeah, that's reasonable, but began to rejoice. And what I began to do is I began to recite an early church hymn. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Glory to the Father. And I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing the trees and I'm seeing the sky. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Glory to the to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. I began to just worship the Lord slowly and worshipfully with that, not empty dead repetition, but worship and rejoicing. And as I sat there, I just kind of just flowed into beginning to pray in the Spirit. I was thinking the Apostle Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 14, how when I pray in the Spirit, I build myself up on the inside. I just began to, in my office chair, just pray in the Spirit. As I did that, I just felt really led to the Spirit. 
to flip my Bible open to Psalm 136. And very clearly, like, open to Psalm 136. And when I opened it, I didn't know what it was. When I opened it, I said, oh, yeah, I know what this is out of the 150 Psalms because of the way it's written. This was a, in the Jewish history tradition, Old Testament worship, the Jewish priests would use this as call and response, meaning the priests would read one line and the congregation would answer, and they'd read the, new, the New Living Translation says this, would answer with this, his faithful love endures forever. And I just sat and I rejoiced. And I began, I, I did it out loud. And I, would, I read the line and I'd say, and his faithful love endures forever. And I'd read the line, and his faithful love endures forever. And here's, here's what we experience when we rejoice in the Lord because of safeguard for you. What it does is it puts things into their proper eternal perspective. You know, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, all the way back before the world began, God and is now God and will be forever God And what happens is when we rejoice, it puts things into their proper eternal perspective where God is big and God is in control and God is all love and where I am small and I am dependent and because of that I'm secure in his greatness and his care and his love. What I want to do together this morning is I want us to go to Psalm 136. It's going to be in the screens right now. Let's pop that up there. Not as vain repetition, but as a way to rejoice in the Lord. And how's we're going to do it? Let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's put things into the perspective. This is what it is. And we're going to do it as a call and response. So I'm going to read the line. So this first thing, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And you're going to respond. I'm not going to respond. You're going to respond with thing. Endures forever. Okay, so, so you've got to participate in this thing. So let's, let's, let's do this as a way of rejoicing, choosing to rejoice. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. The sun to rule by day. And the moon and the stars to rule the night. Feel it? Do you see it? He's bigger than everything. We can give thanks to him for all the reality of who he is and what he's done. You say, but Pastor Mark, you don't know my deal. Here's what I know. The God who made the universe is bigger than any problem you have. The God who created the world is bigger than any situation that you're walking through. And in this text from Philippians, Paul is showing us how to be connected to Jesus in such a way that we can rest in him 
and to live in his joy. And doesn't that feel good? Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. This last couple of days I've been, one day actually, deer hunting, Saturday. The rest of my family still up north, kids and my dad and my brother came home last night. And I spent almost the entire time when I was in the woods yesterday and then the day before, I was by myself out in the woods, sitting in a tree. Doesn't that sound like fun? And all I kept doing is looking at creation and going, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, now, and will be forever. Rejoice in the Lord. It is a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for your soul. Now, with full hearts, putting things in proper perspective, now let's jump into the deep water of Philippians 3, verses 2 to 11. Are you ready to jump in? See, as we look at these next verses, I want us to remember what's really going on here. Paul is revealing his heart. In this text, he's writing about his greatest desire in life. And it's so important for us to remember that because if you don't remember that going into it, it'd be very easy to get bogged down in all the details that he's talking about, not knowing why he's writing about it and miss the point of what's going on here. So Paul's talking about, so what's Paul's heart here? What's his heart that's revealed here? What's his great desire, his passion of life? And it's very simply this comes loud and clear through the text. He just wants to know Jesus more. He wants to be more intimate with Jesus. He wants to more fully uh, be part of integrated life with Jesus. He wants to be more experiential in his walk with Jesus. That's what's going on here. Paul's pouring out his heart. He's looking over his life. That's really important here. He's looking back over his life and saying, all I want now is to know Jesus more. So let me reread the text, verses 2 to 11. I'll just start in verse 1. And with that understanding, you listen for Paul's desire. At first, it's going to be kind of an introduction, looking back, talking about some current problems going on, but listen for it. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. Christ and put no confidence in the flat, the true circumcision, who worship in the spirit of God and in glory of Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, says to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Look at that. For the sake of Christ. Knowing Jesus my Lord. That I may gain Christ. That I may be found in Christ. That I may know him. Do you see the, the constant theme? That I may know him. That I may be gain Christ. That I may, for the sake of Christ. That I may be found in him. Everything Paul writes here pertains to his desire to G- know Jesus more. And I've got to tell you. That. For you and me. Is really good news. Because the apostle Paul is saying. He's writing to his friends. And he goes. I just want more. But in this regard is what he's saying is, there must be more. He's sitting in jail. He's going through a time of stress. He's got to be feeling the same things we feel. And he's going, come on, Jesus. What's it all about? Where are you? I'm locked in jail. But then he realizes, he rejoices, and he goes, there's more. God, there has to be more. He had come so far, but he knew he didn't yet fully know Jesus the way he knew was possible. He had had a glimpse into who Jesus is. Remember, Paul actually had an encounter with Jesus on a Damascus road. He literally met the resurrected Christ. He had a glimpse. He says, I want more. And friends, I can identify with that, can't you? Yes, I know Jesus, but my knowing Jesus is limited. And I go, God, I want more. There's got to be more to this. So let's look at what Paul says about this wanting more. He starts off by saying that basically this empty religion can never give you the more you desire. Religion, this idea of following a bunch of rules to try to impress God, if that's your definition of religion, it's kind of a good one. Empty religion can never give you the more that you desire. That's what verses 2 through 6 are all about. He's talking about beware of this group of people. You find it interesting? Beware of these people who are going the wrong direction. And here's my history. He starts off warning his readers to not be fooled by just this empty religion, by any type of system that says that you are who you are or what you do or what rules you keep will lead you to the more that you long for. And i got to tell you, friends, it's so easy to fall into that. Our hearts are really way over there. Our desires are somewhere over there. But I keep a bunch of rules. Oh, I go to Portview Church. But my heart's really over there. My desires are really over there. But I fool myself. And I go, but hey, but I'm in, man. I went to the membership class at Portview. He says, beware. And look what he says about the people that represent, in his day, the exact situation was going on in Philippi. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil evil workers. He calls them also the false circumcision. They were a group of people who were saying, Jesus isn't enough. you got to keep a bunch of religious rules also. And the religious rule he's talking about here is, they said, you couldn't really be right with God Follow Jesus, yes, but you also have to be circumcised. Because it was a Jewish tradition. You had to be circumcised. And Paul says this, he's saying, beware of any system that says it's what we do or who we are 
That's really important. Well, hey, they're saying I'm a Jew. I do the Jewish way. Any Italians in here? Say, well, I'm an American. Or, or I'm an Italian. You got any Italians in here? Oh, man, because I got a friend who's a pastor who's Italian. I, every conversation I hear, but I'm Italian. He's my age. He's still, every, every conversation, I'm Italian. I'm not saying he's wrong about that, but he always reminds me, well, I'm Italian. Being Italian's not what it's about. Oh, wait. I'm a right winning evangelical. I'm a right winning evangelical. That's not what it's about. Paul understood this better than most people. That's why he's writing about it. He's writing about himself here. He understood this better than most people because he had lived almost his entire adult life trying to find more by keeping the Jewish religion religiously. That's why he lays out his pedigree here. That's why he's going, didn't you understand who I am? He goes, I've got it all. He says, I'm a super Jew. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm the super Jew. I've got every part of the pedigree down. I'm born in the right tribe. I've done it all. I even persecuted the church as a Jew, saying, the crazy Christians are a bunch of lunatics. Let's kill them all. And Paul partnered in killing Christians and imprisoning them. He was, he said, the Pharisee of Pharisees. The Pharisees were the strictest one who kept all the rules of the church. He goes, I was the best of them all. Never found fault one time. What's his conclusion that he says here? He said it was worthless. Now we'll get this. Worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Because I don't want you to go on a tangent and go, well, there's no rules and there's no... No, I say this. Especially when you're newer in the faith, rules are a safeguard. And they're formative and they lead you in the right way. But as you, as you develop, as Paul's developing his, I just want to know Jesus more. The rules are still fine. The things are still fine. But you realize that it, there's, there's more. Those things are only guide, guardrails directing you. Parents, don't throw the rules away for your kids. Grandparents, don't throw the rules away for your kids. They're forming your kids in the right direction. Throw away the rules and your kids are going to go crazy and go stray. But Paul's a mature man here. And he's saying, listen, compared to knowing Jesus, my whole pedigree is worthless. See, when he was calling those, he refers to here as, as dogs, as a false circumcision, as evil workers, those who, who believed that Jesus wasn't enough, that to be saved, they also had to be circumcised to keep the Jewish law. And, he, and he's so harsh towards them. You go, boy, doesn't seem very loving, Paul. You know what Paul's doing imaginatively? He's looking in a mirror and seeing himself just a short time earlier. He identifies with them because he was one of them, maybe not doing the exact same thing, but one of them saying, I kept all the rules better than anybody. And he goes, but beware. That path won't lead to really knowing Jesus. He's saying, I know that because I've tried it. I tried it harder than anybody else. So he says, I count all things as garbage. All those other things. I toss it aside and I toss anything aside that can keep me from knowing Jesus more. And friends, what do you need to toss aside and what do I need to toss aside that can keep me from knowing Jesus more? Look at that's what he's talking about in verses 7 and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, his pedigree, all his religious efforts, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, all that pedigree, and count them but garbage, but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. That's the cry of Paul's heart. And he gets it now. That he can know Jesus. Not by righteousness earned by keeping the law, but that when he really knows Christ, that Jesus' righteousness becomes his righteousness. That when he really knows Christ, there's a, he, he's unified. He usually uses the term, he doesn't use it here, but being in Christ. That when you're unified with Christ, then you become like Christ. You're changed like Christ. That's what verse 9 is about. That I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, from keeping the rules, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, more, Jesus more, to the more of faith. That when, when he understands, when, he's, when he wants more, Jesus more, that the more he's enmeshed with Jesus, the more he's unified, the more he'll become like Jesus, the more he will change. And he wants to change. He wants to be united with Jesus. He wants to become like Jesus. And friend, that's what verses 10 and 11 are all about. It's Paul's cry to put everything aside that could get between him and Jesus so that he becomes unified in such a way that he is enmeshed with Christ and he becomes a reflection of Jesus. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I want to know him in an experiential knowing. I want to know him so deeply. I want to be so enmeshed with him. I want to become so so much like him. I want him to literally be in me. And that's what he's talking about here. And it's so dangerous because you want to say, I want to become like him. But he's almost saying this, I want to be him. I want Jesus to be so real in me that that's what you see. That's what I live. Not me and Jesus, but me and Jesus. So he can say, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to have that transforming power reality of Christ by the Spirit of God within me that has saved me, that has changed me, that is healing me, that continues to change me and make me more like Jesus. If you have the idea that you came to Christ... 30 years ago, and you go, hey, man, I had a great experience. Fill the Holy Spirit, and you're the exact same person. That's not God's plan for you or me. Paul's saying this. He's a superstar, and he's going, I just want more. I want anything else that's in the way to fall aside, anything that's in any, any, he said, I call that trash. I'm going to put it all aside because all I want is to know Jesus more. I want to know he says the power of his resurrection. I want to experience it. He says, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. He's saying, I want to be so much like Jesus. I suffer like Jesus. And you know what's interesting? Paul prays that prayer. And maybe more than anybody I'm familiar with, Paul lived that life. And he suffered like Jesus. He was ostracized. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. Eventually he was killed for simply telling people that Jesus is alive and rose from the dead and you can know him. He says, I want to be conformed to his death. To give his life for others like Jesus. He's like, that's the kind of death I want to die. That my death is for the glory of God and the 
and the betterment of people. In reality, that was exactly what he was doing for the Philippians. He had put his life on the line to tell them about Jesus. He had planted the church, and now he's locked in a jail waiting to see if he's going to live or die. Paul was like Jesus. And you can almost say this, without being too weird, Paul was Jesus. And he's saying that's what's available to us. This verse only makes, these verses, 9 and 10, especially 10, um, 10 and 11, but primarily 10. This verse only makes sense when we understand it, that it's a cry of Paul's heart to let nothing come between him and Jesus. Otherwise, it's foolishness to say, well, I just want to die like Jesus. I just want to suffer like Jesus. Nobody would say that unless they're saying, I just want to be Jesus, become like Jesus so much that my life is just a reflection of his life. It doesn't make sense. He wanted Jesus more than he wanted anything else. He wanted Jesus more than he wanted ease and comfort. He wanted Jesus more than he wanted um, the accolades of men, more than he wanted success. He wanted Jesus more than anything else. His cry was to become united with him in every way. Power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, conforms to his death. He says so that I can just be resurrected with him. How could a man have such a desire? That's what I walk away from. I go, how could a man, how could Paul have this desire? I'd say this, because he had known a taste of the reality of Jesus, and he knew that nothing else could ever satisfy him, and he wanted more. And he's willing to give up anything that stood in the way of him being more closely connected with Jesus. Anything. What about me? Anything. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not there yet. Not fully. I want more, but more that Paul had in the way. Things that can probably keep me from the more that Paul had. And I think it's the same for most of us in here today. So where does that leave us? We see this incredible example. Seeing the example reveals some truth about us. Paul looked in the mirror and saw, hey, don't be like I used to be. When we look in the mirror that he's painting here, he's showing us a mirror that we can look into and see our own reflection. We may well conclude, I don't want to be what I am right now. I want more. Where does that leave us? Well, I think in need of a fresh glimpse of Jesus. I think that's the answer. Not religion. Not church. God uses those things. But Paul's saying those things are not what it's all about. They're only, they can help us get to where we're going. But it's not about those. It's Jesus. And we need to toss aside anything that we know gets between us and him. The way I want to end today, for me and for you, I just want us to have some time with Jesus. You know what? I can't recreate the Damascus Road for anybody. I can't make Jesus make himself real to anybody. I can't, and neither can you. Churches try it, do all kinds of crazy stuff to whip people up into a frenzy. It's not what I want to do. I just want us to end with prayer. And I'm going to invite you to sit and ask Jesus to open up your mind and my mind and our eyes to his reality, to his presence. I was going to invite you to find a place to pray. You can stay in your seat. You can come up to the altar. You can do whatever you want and ask Jesus to tear away all the debris and help us to see him more clearly. 
because as we do, we will willingly toss anything else aside to be closer and closer with him. So I invite you to find a place to pray. Ask Jesus for a fresh glimpse into himself and sit as long as you want and leave whenever you feel ready. Um, only God can give us a fresh glimpse. And I refuse to do anything that makes it fake. I actually was thinking before church. I said, God, if you really did something miraculous, it changed the world. A fresh Damascus Road experience in all of our lives, but I know this, he has the best plan, and I don't. He has the best plan. So Lord, help us. Help us today. Today. As we walk with you. To experience your reality in such a way that it, it, it whets our appetite for more and we say, God, please take me through a process where I put anything else aside that's in my way.